The limited partners shares in the potentially outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor, and has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. And that is why we're here together. 90% of the millionaires out there built their net worth with real estate. However, 0% of the billionaires are hands-on managing the real estate assets because there simply isn't enough time. My name is Jake Wiley, and for the past 16 years, I've been investing in real estate, and I've learned a thing or two. But the most important lesson is how to leverage the expertise and time of others to maximize your investment potential. Welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. All right, welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. This is going to be a little bit of a special episode because we're going to veer off a little bit from like true limited partner investing topics and really get into like what in the world is going on with the economy. You know, I think we've all seen or heard or have concepts about what's happening, but I did a little bit of research and I want to share some of that with you. But first, just kind of give you an update on where things are with me personally. If you're watching this live or you see it, you probably tell that this red shirt's not helping, but I am my home. I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and the air conditioner has been out. My office is on the second floor and it is like unbelievably hot. So I've got a fan, face is a little bit red. <laughs> this is this has been an, an uncomfortable couple days. It's funny you work with these air conditioning folks and they half the time act like, you know, coming back in a couple days is an okay thing. I mean, we are literally camping downstairs in our house. Everybody's like piled up on top of each other. So that's been fun. It's been an interesting environment, but, you know, having a conversation with my AC contractors coming out to support me, is like, oh, we ordered the part. It'll be here in, you know, three to five days. And it's like, oh my God, like that doesn't seem like a great option, but that's what we're dealing with. It's summer. I think the heat index is over a hundred, but we'll see. Hopefully next time you see and hear from me, I will not be wearing t-shirts and sweating profusely. But anyway, let's dive into it because it is an interesting time in the market. And here's some of the things that we're going to cover in this episode. So consumer spending growth, it's slowing. It's not stopping yet. So the Fed has been watching that with interest rates and basically they're just trying to kill it all. What we're also seeing is consumers are continuing to spend despite the inflation and rising interest rates, which is, I think most of us have kind of hoped that like, you know, everybody would just stop spending money on stuff and, you know, the rates would start coming back down and life would be good. But like, it's not happening yet. So the feds made some announcements that they may not be done. And really to kind of timestamp for you, this is July of 2023. So I think we've seen a pause and we're kind of hoping that like it was going to start working its way back down. But we're also seeing a two-sided risk for consumers. So there's rising real income, right? So we're kind of benefiting from this inflation in terms of income, probably not as much as the price of goods are going up. We've had some strong balance sheets and that's supporting near-term spending. But like these higher debt servicing costs, right? So if you've had to buy a car, you've had to buy anything or you've had to go out and actually put money on it is actually going to really start putting a hamper on your spending growth. And we're starting to see that savings, you know, so there's real high savings going back to like 2020, where everybody was locked up at home. We've really whittled through that. And then travel on an airline, like this is summertime, guys. If you're out there, you're probably looking to be like, man, there is nothing wrong with the travel on the airline other than like the service is terrible. But people are out, they are flying, they are renting hotels, they're renting Airbnbs. I think like the stats on Airbnbs this past year has been the highest ever. And we've had tons and tons of new 
folks come on the market from an Airbnb perspective. And even with that, you know, the absorption has been really strong. So that's, those are kind of the areas that we're really going to dive into here on this episode. And honestly, I'd love some feedback too on, you know, what you're thinking. What are you seeing out there? Like, what are your thoughts? What do you want to know about? You know, I did a bunch of research to kind of come up with the topics of this episode to really talk about brass tacks as opposed to getting into the kind of nitty gritty and weeds of, you know, what's happening here and some really interesting points. But let's start diving into some of these. Let's talk about consumer spending first. So here's some factors that are really going to support ongoing consumer spending, right? We've actually hoped, I guess, kind of as a maybe as a financial market that consumer spending would come down, but we're seeing things that are leading towards additional spending or here's some of those factors, but like lower inflation, which we've seen a little bit, right? So it hasn't been this crazy numbers. It started to come down, you know, like. People are starting to look at it and be like, hey, these prices seem good or better, right? Like I'm not as worried. I think some of that is is mentally not being able to reframe it to what it was before, but actually starting to see prices come back down to normal. And my wife, there's like a couple products she gets at the grocery store that she can tell you when like the world has returned to normal. And she's like, hey, they're priced normally again. And it's like, any shell noodles or something like that. That's her baseline. But we're starting to see prices come back to where they were. People are actually going out and spending more because of some of this inflationary demand has increased incomes. So that's one area. There's been a strong labor market. And like, no matter what we've done, like we have not seen the labor market cool like we hoped. And then, you know, because of COVID, we're still seeing some healthy household fundamentals, which means like the savings balances in the banks and the banks are reporting that and balance sheets are still okay. But I would argue that the trend on the savings and the balance sheets has come down dramatically. So like we're starting to see that whittle away. But here's some factors that are kind of kind of slow consumer spending. So here are other things we just talked about before. Like, for example, if you recently purchased a car or you went out and bought a house, like Higher borrowing costs, you know, are just going to eat into one, the income that you have and then potentially savings. And then extrapolating of the savings drawdown suggests that savings are going to dwindle pretty rapidly. So we're seeing banks are reporting that they're coming down. And we've, we've been saying this for a while. This is not new. But tighter lending standards and is really going to slow down loan growth. There's wider loan spreads. And for those of you out there that are probably like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's basically saying like there's kind of an implicit interest rate that's out there, right? The Fed setting it, and then there's a rate that you're actually getting the loans for, like when you go out there as like a retail or even a commercial investor. And the difference, you know, basically is the spread. And I know that's a very simple way of explaining that, but that's what it is. They have these wider loan spreads when there's more risk in the market and uncertainty about what's happening. And so this last piece is we're talking about student loans. So you're probably all aware at this point that the student loan forgiveness program that the Biden administration had put forward was kind of struck down by the Supreme Court. So we're starting to see or we have a plan for the resumption of student loan spending. One, we know people have gotten very used to not having to pay their student loans. And like That's a real thing. We also know that the student loan debt out there is astronomical, hence why they're trying to eliminate it. And therefore, like when that stuff starts kicking back in, like it's going to be a substantial chunk of disposable incomes that arguably for the past three years or so, like you haven't even had to deal with it. Those are the factors that are going to kind of, we think will start bringing down consumer spending. So there's a little bit of up, there's a little bit of down. But the net story at this point in time is that the consumer spending and basically the overall economy is still hotter 
than they want it to be. And thus, we should be expecting some rate increases here in the futures. Let's talk about consumer trade down behavior. So this is, you know, like you, you're a consumer and you have a choice of what you're going to go out and spend your money on. We're starting to see that this trade down behavior is moving up the income brackets. And what that means is that, you know, like if you think about, you know, going to the bottom level of the income brackets, you know, there's a lot of trading off that you have to do, right? Like maybe you're trading for the generic brand versus whatever, but we're starting to see that moving up the income level. So even at higher income levels. So that means like you're changing your shopping behavior, you're altering the quantity, the pack size, you're switching retailers. I mean, I can point to this directly is that we have been members of Costco for a while now for like a reason. I can't even remember. It was like some when there's like one prescription drug or something that was sold at Costco that was sold at like some amazing deal that it was actually worth getting the $60 membership. But we have as a family, you know, as we kind of looked at this market, do this research and what's happening, we've actually made some choices, right? So we've actually started going to Costco and buying like, you know, especially some of the paper goods. Like I got a family of six. Like, I mean, we go through the paper goods, like it's going out of style. So like we've moved that to Costco. So we switched retailers, we've altered our pack size. Like we're getting these big bulk items and, you know, we're benefiting from wholesale, right? So what we've seen is elevated inflation leads to increased total value but decreased volume sold. Maybe the total dollar value of what we're buying at this point in time has gone up, but we're not buying as much. But there's an exception, which would be like food service, accommodations, recreation services, and healthcare. Like that's all actually trending above. But we are seeing a drop in volume of food and beverage products. Kind of the one big exception is vehicle volume. So automotives, like my wife, like I was talking earlier, is anti-shell noodles or, and maybe like there's one or two other things, like the big thing of pretzels or something like that is her baseline for what's going on in the marketplace. And like mine was always kind of like the auto market. And we're seeing that the vehicle market has remained steady on the volume perspective, but we're actually seeing a declining expenditure for car. Maybe one of the best ways to kind of really articulate that is what you see with Tesla, right? So Tesla has been out in the marketplace, you know, reducing the cost of their models, right? To keep people in there and get these volumes or keep these volumes as high as they have been. That's one of the areas where we're really seeing a, I would call it, it's like the exception, right? Is that the volume is staying high, but like we're actually seeing the expenditure of a car come down. And I mean, if you've been looking at the auto market, cost of a car recently seems like it has gotten completely out of control and out of alignment. So hopefully those things are starting to work themselves down. So I've seen lots filling back up, which gives me confidence that the economy and our world is not falling apart. The prices of the cars are coming down, still haven't come down enough for me to actually go out and get a new one or trade in you know, the car that we've had for a while. All right, I want to get into the risk to travel and entertainment because that's actually a big driver of the economy. And what we're seeing is that the rising debt service costs that we've talked about several times already in this reduced savings, people are eating to their savings. And then we've got student loan payments coming off 
it's going to lead to some pretty big trade-offs. And recent data shows that there's going to be a move away from discretionary goods and services. So these are discretionary. It's a big word and I probably didn't pronounce it, but that basically means it's stuff you have a choice on, right? Do you want to go do this or do you not? Like it's really kind of what we're up against. And so it's like a pullback in durable good expenditures, especially big ticket items. The initial indicators are that consumers are really planning to reduce spending on dining out, big electronic purchases, leisure and home appliances. So those are kind of the big items that are on the chopping block, and that's going to have a big impact on the economy. And then the other thing that we've already talked about is travel. So airline, lodging, and live entertainment are most at risk, right? Those are the first things that people will just kind of pull back from if they're feeling like, one, my, my wallet's getting a little bit thin, market's not really there for it, and we're seeing these trends. So I think that the airline industry, the lodging industry, especially not necessarily like Airbnb, which we've talked about has had the biggest uptick because I think what COVID did for the Airbnb industry, and again, that includes like all of the other rent your home type places is that there were a lot of people that were not comfortable with it. They'd always stayed in hotels and it's very similar to like getting on a Zoom call with somebody like you just didn't really want to do it. And then COVID forced you to be comfortable with it. I mean, COVID forced a lot of people to say like, all right, I don't want to go stay in a hotel, which is basically just a big tower confined with a bunch of people during COVID. So they didn't. So they tried Airbnb and they loved it. I think it's really interesting is that like I almost never stay in a hotel except for when I'm traveling for work because there's six of us, right? And we have to all fit somewhere. The best way to do that is in a house, right? And I think the amenities and the things that you get along with a house are a lot better even than like the hotels that have like the little tiny kitchens, but like they don't have a washer and dryer. Like those things make a big difference. But anyway, a lot of people have gotten comfortable with that space now. So like lodging, more of your traditional hotels, like they're in trouble right now. And But they've been bouncing back, like we've seen hotels filling up. But as people pull back on their spending and as like basically the government, the Fed and everybody, like they're trying to make this happen, right? This is not like, oh man, like why is the economy coming to a screeching halt? They're actually trying to make this happen. I think that's what's really important. And, you know, we've got airlines and lodging, live entertainment, things that people have come back, like really bounced back from, you know, with COVID, like it was all put aside. That's a big risk because those are really some of the bigger discretionary items. And then, you know, other big ticket items like consumer electronics, appliances, those things, that's going to be a problem. So as we kind of wrap up this whole session, the key takeaways are there are lower savings rates than there has been in the past years. And it's been whittling down relatively fast. There was a point in time, like I said earlier, like in 2021, where like the savings of the US consumer was as high as it's ever been in history. And now we're actually back below pre-COVID levels, right? So I think people have gotten used to spending their money. We're getting to the bottom of the well and we're having to make, people are starting to make adjustments. So we see that. On top of that, we've got higher borrowing costs, right? So if you do need to go out there and replace things, like the borrowing costs are up. We're saying student loans are coming back. Inflation's still elevated, right? And I think that what's also important for people to really know is that like when we talk about these kind of inflation numbers. And we're saying like, hey, we are, the government was saying we're at seven or 8% and they want to get to two. Two is not the baseline of what it was three years ago, right? Like that's not getting back, like it, from a percentage perspective on a year over year basis, it is. But we had years that were stacked at these higher numbers, right? And then if, even if we get back to 2%, like our baseline is now this elevated number, right? That's already been, you know, 7%, 8%, you know, 7%. Like 
inflation's already taken its toll and we're still growing, right? Like we're still seeing inflation. We're not down to a normal number that the, you know, the government's happy with, the Fed's happy with. And then on top of that, like these new numbers are just higher, right? So like even when we get to like a quote unquote 2%, the intent is not to deflate, right? Like that's an issue or depreciate the economy. But we're going to get to 2% and that's going to be the new normal and it's going to be a new elevated number. So like the numbers and the prices and everything that you're seeing out in the marketplace are not going necessarily down. They're still going up, but they just might not be going up as high as they were. And then the other thing that's really, we haven't hit on too much, but just basically the banks are not lending like they used to. Like with the uncertainty in the market, what I was talking about, these spreads, these loan spreads, rate spreads, like banks are curtailing. They're not lending like they used to. And therefore, there's reduced credit. So even the money that's available, like even if you wanted to go do things, you may not be able to get the things that you were looking for, right? So you are probably going to have to pull back, which arguably might be a good thing, but it's also a little bit disconcerting because the banks are going out and they're doing valuations. And I've heard several stories of this in the past week where the banks are doing basically appraisals on assets, whether it be airplanes, whether it be real estate. And the uncertainty in the market is causing them to be conservative and saying, hey, look, we don't necessarily see the value at this higher number that you know, you're know you purporting to purchase this at. Therefore, like we're setting our number here. So that has two effects. Either you can make up the difference of, let's just say, using super round numbers, you thought you were going to go out, buy something that was $100, the bank was going to lend you 80%. So you only needed to come up with 20 bucks. Seller still saying it's worth 100, the bank saying it's worth 70. You could either say like, all right, well, I'm not going to do this deal. Or you could ask the seller for a concession. The seller says no. Then either the deal doesn't happen and the seller is going to have to come to reality or you're going to have to come up with that other 10 yourself. So that's more money out of your pocket, which then against depleting the savings, which is creating more of a problem. But res- rising disposable income and strong balance sheets you know, may keep some of the spending growth positive. But I think we've got to really be honest about like some of these drawbacks and what we're seeing in the market trends. Consumers are out there, they're looking at trade downs, right? They're actually, we're, this is not a hyperbole, right? This is real. People are actually going out there and kind of trading down. Maybe they don't need the, you know, F-250 King Ranch anymore, like the F-150, like Platinum is fine. I'm just kind of making up names of vehicles, but like that's happening. It's real. It's in the marketplace. I mean, we're seeing trucks and SUVs selling for north of $100,000, which I mean, if you had those prices out there two years, three years ago, four years ago, like we would have thought you're nuts and like that's normal. But people are starting to vote with their wallets and say, but we're not. Kind of wanted to talk through all the data points and information that I was able to glean about what's going on in the economy because all of that has an impact on what's happening in the market and investments and, and real estate in general. Do I think that there's going to be a reckoning in real estate? I think that's real and that's coming and it's starting to happen. And we're in this extend and pretend period where basically the banks and borrowers are kind of like extending loans, pretending that they're not in default. <laughs> hoping that we can get through a workout period and the values of these assets will be fine or there'll be some way to get through this. But we're kind of coming to an end of that. That's going to have an impact on the valuations of assets out there in the marketplace because if the bank starts taking these things back or refinancing it at lower rates, similar to what we were talking about you know, before is using that $100 analogy, like you thought you, you, we were going to invest in this apartment, it was going to cost 100 units of something. Bank was going to lend us 80. Now they're saying it's only worth 60, 70. That's all they're going to lend on. Like, 
all that extra money has got to come from somewhere that affects the economics of the deal. And then, you know, the other aspect of it is like what's happening with consumers. And that's why I thought this topic was really important to bring to the table is that the consumer world is changing, but it's not something that like the economy is just like fundamentally going bad. Like we're actually trying to make this happen, right? This just red hot labor market, inflation on wages, like everybody's got a job. People are spending money like crazy. We have these elevated savings. And what it did was it just created all of this like consumption. And that consumption was a drawdown of goods faster than really that anybody anticipated. And it created scarcity. And then when you have scarcity, the prices go up. And therefore we had inflation. So the government, the Fed, they're trying to actually like cool the market off, like in its entirety. And make these changes happen. It's being forced and it's basically being forced because maybe the monetary policy prior was way too loose, right? Money was basically free, like go out and do this. And then like, oh, we think the world's going to fall apart. So like, let's basically give money away. Let's stimulate the economy, which they did. They did a great job of that and arguably too good because the world didn't fall apart. And now we're trying to deal with it on the other side. And I just wanted to be very clear to everybody that's listening to this. That's important right? Because this is not, oh, maybe it'll just like, maybe this is just a little bump in the road. It's like, Fed has said, we're not there yet. Like we, we need more water on the, you know, it's still too hot. Like we need to cool it off and we've got probably some more work to do. So this is forced, right? Like this is coming at us. And like all of these things that we've talked about in consumer spending and the availability of people's wallets is very important because as we think about rents and rent growth, we've had historic rent growth over the past couple of years. And we're starting, you know, we've actually started to see rents go back down and kind of normalize. And again, like they'll probably never get back down to where they were pre-inflation. But if things go sideways really fast and savings are depleted and student loan payments keep kicking in and like costs are haven't gone down enough, you know, these where people live is somewhat discretionary. You got to live somewhere, but you don't have to live in that nice apartment. You know, you're going to start seeing people vote with their feet and the same thing is going to happen with storage. And then we've got valuation issues. But the underlying economy is very important because that is a piece of the pie, right? So as we talk about the MSA model for how you can go out there and evaluate deals, we're talking about the market, we're talking about the sponsor, and we're talking about the asset. Right now, we're talking about the macro economy, right? That's the market. That is the macro market that we're talking about. And I wanted to bring that in and kind of infuse maybe a little bit of, I guess, real facts and data to kind of help understand like what's happening and why some of these things are happening and like what that may do in the future. The, the economy still got to cool off and there's going to be some adjustments. And we all just need to be very smart about that, especially when we're looking at deals, because a lot of the sponsors, the general partners out there are still doing deals. And the question is, are they looking at this data too? Like, are they looking at this on a micro level as well? So like, let's talk to, this has been a macro conversation about the broader economy here in the US. Are they looking at that in a micro level down at specific locations? And, you know, giving you a good example was like Austin. Austin was this like mega tech magnet hub. We've got, you know, players moving in from San Francisco left and right. And now we're seeing that like these built, you know, these companies, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, like they're scaling back, right? Like that's real. That's a micro market, right? Like those things are happening faster there because they're adjusting faster because the market has changed. 
So as you're looking at investments and you're looking at plan for these assets, you need to be asking yourself, are these micro and macroeconomic considerations factored into the performance and the plans that I'm being presented and make good decisions. But that really concludes this week's episode. Again, like I said, hopefully next week I'll have air conditioning and it'll be much cooler and I won't have this like nice healthy sheen again if you're watching this on video. But I'd also really love to hear what are you thinking about? What are you concerned about? Like, what are your hangups? Like if you've got anything, please send me an email at jakeatthelimitedpartner.com and let me know. I'd love to pull some of these conversations into this podcast because we're at a really unique time. And I think that this is a really good opportunity to not just like go out and find facts and present them to you, but to bring you in the conversation. So let's do that. And we'll see you next week. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I'd actually love for you to contribute to a future episode. If you have a question you'd like answered or a topic or a guest to bring on the show, please email me at jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Now I realize there's a lot of lingo that's thrown around on these shows, so I've created a cheat sheet for you with the top 26 terms that come up most often. Head on over to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash lingo for the list. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.